Genesis and chapter 45. Let's pray together. Father in heaven now, God, we ask that you send your Holy Spirit to do a mighty work in our hearts and our minds here today. God, give us enlightenment, understanding of your word, that we might better understand you and better understand ourselves, to know how it is we ought to live in a way that honors you, God, and brings joy and peace. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Every day, it seems, we make decisions. Some things that we think don't matter. What to have for lunch, for example. Ladies, what's for dinner? That's a fun question, isn't it? <laughs> My friends, we have decisions to make, and while we think that they are small and irrelevant day after day, my friends, there are big decisions too. And how do we make those decisions? Research? Do we get on Google and find out everything we can? Is that it? Well, friends, in our study in the book of Genesis, if we've learned everything, anything, I sure hope that our first response to big questions, big decisions, should be starting with prayer. Today we're going to look at uh, some lessons that are, are, I think, very clear for us as we continue to study the book of Genesis. And by way of review, the key chapter in the book of Genesis, chapter that is absolutely essential to understand where Scripture is going and what is future for you and I here today, is Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, of course, there we find our Abrahamic covenant. God made a covenant with Abraham, and that covenant is unconditional. In other words, regardless of how Abraham responds, God will fulfill his promises. You may recall his promise to Abraham in this covenant, which most certainly impacts us, and we will see why as we review the covenant with Abraham was this, that God would personally bless Abraham and he would bless his family and out of Abraham he would make a great nation, a nation that he would bless and that anyone that would bless this nation would be blessed. Anyone that would curse this nation would be cursed and through this nation all the families of the world would be blessed. That last part there, that's us, my friends. As a matter of fact, if you look through the history of the United States and its relationship to Israel, perhaps we might see why the United States has been blessed in so many ways. The Abrahamic covenant, my friends. And so God indeed is building a nation here before us in our study in the book of Genesis now, what do you need to be a nation? You ever thought about that? One more definition nobody ever thought about. What's it take to be a nation? Well, you got to have people, right? I mean, a couple of people hanging out in the corner, that ain't a nation, right? So you got to have people. you got to have a land to put these people. And you need some kind of constitution to guide them, right? Yeah, people, land, and a law. All of these things are developed through the New Testament. All of these things laid out for us that would ultimately lead to Jesus, 
a descendant of Abraham from the family of Israel. Yeah, wow. So how do you make these decisions, friends? I want to suggest to you that the Bible lays out in numerous places this particular pattern for us. If you are to make a decision that is wise and God-honoring, there are a number of things to keep in perspective. The first is do you see the God's, God's providential hand at work? You know, do we see God favoring this, moving us toward these events? I mean, surely that was going on here at this part of the history of the family of Jacob. You know, his sons had sold Joseph as a slave. And we read this, and if we read it in a vacuum and, and that we don't include God, we say, what a horrible story. But when we look back at it, we say, only God could do such a thing. You see, so Joseph sold as a slave. I mean, there he is, a servant. He's bought by the guy that runs the prisons, you know? And there he is being faithful and blessing Potiphar in his house because of what Joseph is doing, so much so that Potiphar put him in charge of everything. Everything in this house, your hand, Joseph, and God continue to bless. But the uh, one thing that... Uh, was held back from Joseph was Potiphar's wife. And we all know the story. Potiphar's wife came on to Joseph. And she invited him, encouraged him, even demanded of him that he lie with her. And friends, let it burn deep into your mind, his response. How could I possibly do this and sin against God? And your husband, for that matter. And so she lied about him. And Joseph goes from being a slave to a prisoner. And there, it's a particular special kind of prison. Not for just your regular thief, but it seems that for people who work for the king and his staff. And there he meets a butler and a baker and they have some dreams. Remember those dreams that Joseph had as a kid? Where his whole family was going to bow down to him. Remember? Hey, I had this dream. And you guys are, you know, going to bow down. They didn't like it. No wonder they sold him as a slave, huh? They're a hateful bunch. A hateful bunch. Well, eventually he tells them the meaning of their dreams. One of which is that the butler would be restored to his position. And suddenly the Pharaoh. Pharaoh has a dream. These are all divine revelation that God is showing them something that is going to happen. Pharaoh doesn't know the answer to this dream, the meaning of the dream. And the butler says, hey, wait a minute. There's this guy in prison. You know, he was able to tell me what my dream. And suddenly Joseph rises from prisoner to the second in all of Egypt. This prisoner to all of Egypt. So do you see God's providential hand at work? And certainly it was evident, clear as a bell, my friend, that God was at work. Notice, if you will, verse 1, Joseph, of course, had been sent to Egypt by God. In his uh, reunion with his brothers, you will notice in verse 1, Joseph could not control himself there before all those who stood by him. And he cried, make everyone go out from me. So, well, so no one stayed with him when Joseph 
made himself known to his brothers. See, they came to buy food. Yeah, they came to buy food. And who was it that was selling it? It was Joseph. And he went aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, is my father alive? What an amazing account. But his brothers, of course, could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. And so Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Wow. And here Joseph lays out the whole story. You see it from one perspective. You see it from your evil, your sin against me, your horrific act, your plan to kill me, and then ultimately selling me. But notice here in verse 5. Joseph says to his brothers, And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. See, it was God. It was God at work. God was the one moving him from place to place. Then he says here in verse 6, For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. So that, that famine, remember all the plenty for seven years, and Joseph in his wisdom said, let's store it up. And then when the famine came, no one had food. They were able to provide and save life. As a matter of fact, that's what he said. And now do not be distressed because God sent me before you to preserve life. And notice here in verse 7, God sent Joseph to Egypt to preserve his own family. And God sent me, verse 7, before you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over the land of Egypt. A little thought there. I wonder how Potiphar felt suddenly throwing this guy into jail and suddenly he's his boss. <laughs> so Joseph sent his brothers. Joseph had been sent to Egypt by God, but now he sends his family, uh, his brothers back to back home and with this instruction, bring dad here. The famine continues, but I'm going to take care of you. Look at here in verse 9. Hurry up and go to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord over all Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. And his brothers received provision from Joseph. Notice here in verse 11, there I will provide for you. For there are yet five years of famine to come so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that God speaks to you. Yeah, it's me. You know, the other brothers, they may not have known him, but Benjamin would know him. 
Benjamin and Joseph shared the same mom. Look at verse 13. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. So Joseph sends them away with uh, provision and pardon. Notice verse 14. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. I underline that in my Bible, that they talked to him. One of those changes that overtook them. Because, my friends, we knew that they could not speak peaceably with this guy before they planned to kill him. But here they are. And notice here in verse 16. His, his brothers not only were to receive provision from Joseph, but now even from Pharaoh. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's heart, it's in verse 16, Joseph's brothers have come. It, was, it pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan. And take your father and your households and come to me and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt. That would be the north eastern Nile Delta, the fertilest, the, the best land in Egypt. And you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this. Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. I'll talk about wheeling out the welcome wagon here. I mean, it seems one thing for Joseph to do it, but now for Joseph's sake, Pharaoh's looking out for this family. What does Egypt care about this family? It's providence, my friends. God is at work. Do you see the providential hand of God at work? Is God moving? Do you sense when you make a decision that God has brought you to this point? That's a significant thing when I make choices, my friend. Is God in it? Is this nothing but me and my own desires or is God in it? Well, his brothers, they receive pardon and they receive provision from Pharaoh. And Joseph sent with him proof of his fortune. Notice in verse 22. To each and all of them, he gave a change of clothes. But to Benjamin, he gave 300 shekels of silver. There's that word silver reminding us of what they sold Joseph for. But here, silver and five changes of clothes. And to his father, he sent as follows. Ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt... Ten female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and provisions for his father on the journey. And so when they arrive, my friends, can Jacob deny it? So look at verse 24. Then he sent his brothers away and they departed and he said to them, do not quarrel on the way. Apparently he knew something about these guys. <laughs> well, clearly the evidence of God's providence is present. The second question you must ask yourself is, what about your desires? What is it that you want? 
You say, well, what should that have to do with it? Aren't we talking about spiritual events here? Yeah, we most certainly are. What is the desire? You see, Jacob is about to face this decision. Should I go to Egypt? Do I go down and take my family to Egypt? Some dangers there. For one thing, you know, Egyptians wanted nothing to do with these kind of people. And for another, they could just be absorbed into the system and disappear. Is it a good idea for me to go to Egypt? Well, check box number one. Do you see God's providential hand at work? Pretty good motivation for Jacob to go down to Egypt. His son is there. So take a look here in verses 25 to 28. When we take a look at the second uh, step of discernment that we want to take, what does your heart want? What does it long for? And you say, what, is it, what difference does that make? Well, Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13, because this is one of the ways that God works. Look at here. He says, for it is God who works in you. How? Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In other words, God works in us to desire certain things in order that we might do certain things. So how do we know the will of God? What is God putting in your heart? You see God moving in this area? You see God is in this? And what does your heart tell you? That sounds like Disney, doesn't it? Well, it's not quite those words, is it? Yeah. What has God put in your heart? What are the desires that he has planted there? Now you will notice we don't use any one of these individually and forget the rest. All of them work together. Is God's hand in it? And what is your desire? Notice verse 25. So they went out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan, their father, Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. Remember, we wondered in our study, did Jacob believe his brothers when they said, hey, we found this robe, you know who this belongs to? Yeah, he wondered. But notice verse 27, when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Jacob here expresses his desire to go to Egypt to see Joseph. Well, that's a pretty great motivation to get a father to travel, is to go see his kids. Works for me. I haven't gone to Bangkok yet, but that might be in my future. Who knows? <laughs> Kids in North Carolina and Texas and Portage. And <laughs> but you'll notice that now he's convinced that Joseph is alive and he wants to go and see him. And then we come to perhaps the most important, or certainly the most important step to take in discerning the will of God. What does his word say? What does the word of God say about this issue? You will note that going to Egypt sounded like a great idea in light of the good news, you know, but, but it, was it the will of God? I mean, that's an important question to ask. Not, hey, let's just go. 
What is it that God wants? Well, let's check his word. Is it consistent? Does it honor him? All of these things matter, my friends. Unfortunately for Jacob, he had confirmation from the word of God in a very unique way. Now, we know what God had said about Egypt. In Genesis chapter 15 and verses 13 to 14, we read, the, the Lord God said to Abraham, you know, Jacob's grandfather, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted 400 years. But I will bring judgment on that nation that they serve and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Well, there's a bit of a warning knowing this, that this was bound to happen. God said it, and when God says it, he does it. They were going down to a foreign land, and there they would be for 400 years. But notice here that God reassured Jacob with his words. Chapter 46 and verse 1. So Israel, remember that is the name that God gave to Jacob. And it's getting used a little more because Jacob is living like it. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba. And so he took a little stop on the journey. And you will notice that Jacob offered sacrifices to the Lord. And he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. That's Yahweh. That's whose God it is. Isaac's God, and soon to be Jacob's God, my friends. And notice what God did in response to his worship. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am the God, the God of your fathers. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. And God reveals here the purpose for this journey. Notice he says, for there... I will make you into a great nation. Wait a minute. That's from the Abrahamic covenant, isn't it? Well, apparently God didn't just say it, but now he's doing it. And God offered a promise for this journey. He says here in verse 4, I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. He's alive. Lord just said it. He just confirmed it. You're going to Egypt and you're going to see Joseph. Now Joseph, or Jacob at this point, lives another 17 years. I want to tell you how significant that is. He gets 17 years with his son Joseph. Those years that had been stolen by his brothers. Taken, thought that he was dead. The Lord returns to him. Now notice verse 5. So Jacob sent out from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried Jacob their father and their little ones and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. And they also took their livestock and their goods, and which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came to Egypt, and Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, all his offspring brought with him to Egypt. It's a significant thing, friends. 
And now what Moses, the author of Genesis, gives to us here is a count. So how many people went down into Egypt and why does it matter? Take a look. We see the names of the descendants. Now these are the names of the descendants of Israel who came to, into Egypt. Jacob and his sons, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and the son of Reuben, Hanach. And, you know what? I'm going to save some time and not read these through. Um, I'm going to give you the opportunity maybe at lunch today to read through all of these names. Because what is significant is not the names, my friends, but the number. Notice here in verse 26, And all the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt, who were his own descendants, not including Jacob's son's wives, were 66 persons at all, in all. And the sons of Joseph, who were born with him in Egypt, were two. And all the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. Now, why, why is that listed? Why does that matter? Why not they just go, went there and they had a party and they all hugged and kissed you? What's with the numbering of all of this? It is significant, my friends, because genealogy matters. We're going through the family. Why is the genealogy the first thing you read when you get to the New Testament? The Abrahamic covenant that through you, Abraham, all the families of the world will be blessed. And that happens through Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, who died for our sins and rose from the dead. He died for our sin and he rose for our justification that all the families of the world might know the blessing of salvation. And so there are 70. Why is this significant? Because we're going to end this book and we're going to turn to the book of Exodus. Not this morning. Just relax. <laughs> and what we're going to read is somehow these 70 people over 400 years became two and a half million people. Is that enough to be a nation? Yeah, maybe a tiny one. But they're going to grow. And God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. My friends, you want to know the will of God? Look and see if God's providential hand has been at work, setting the stage, leading you to this moment. Check your heart. Is this something that God has planted in your mind and your heart to desire? And what does the word of God say about it? Friends, there is no fear in decision-making when you are choosing the will of God, and it would be wise to do so. So let's sum it up here, my friends. God makes his will clear to anyone who desires to follow it. God always makes his will clear to those who are willing to follow it. Choose carefully, my friends. The results could be eternal. And how do we do this? Well, first and foremost, you train yourself to ask if your next course of action is the will of God. Ask the question. So we'd read through Genesis and through the rest of the scripture. We see people mess up royally, just bad decisions, because they didn't stop to ask a very, very, very important question. Is this what God wants in my life? 
is this the will of God? And note this, my friends, if you desire to follow the will of God, he will always make it clear to you. If you ask God to show you the way, not the end, the way, the next step, where is it that we ought to be? He will always show you. But he's not going to show it to you, my friends, if you don't plan to do it. This isn't about curiosity. What would God do if I let him choose my plane? My friends, if you desire to follow the will of God, he will always make it known to you. And finally, remember this. Remember this. You know, when I was a kid, People talked about the will of God, you know, and sit in Sunday school class and, you know, uh, people were terrified of the will of God. Well, what if I do what God wants? He'll, he'll make me be a missionary in, in Africa. I don't want to go to Africa. They got snakes there. People terrified of the will of God. What a shame. What a shame. Because people don't know that when you go and do the will of God, you have the resources of heaven behind you. You have everything that God needs you to do. You've got everything that you need to do God's will. So choose it. I mean, ultimately, that's the point, isn't it? Not just how to, but you want to. Seek God's will in your life. Be where he wants you to be. Say what he wants you to say. Do what he wants you to do. That's where the joy comes, my friend. That's where the joy comes. I'm a relatively new grandfather. I've got a slew of kids running around, you know, and, and, it, and I never had a clue how great it is to be a grandparent. How how amazing it is. And, and if you're not, you just can't comprehend it. You're like, well, I mean, they're kids. I've had kids before. <laughs> but just how astounding it is. That is the way it is when you do the will of God. It will take you places you never thought you would go. You will experience things you never thought you would see. You will be excited about things you never thought would bring a thrill. And that's just here on earth. You have no idea the joy that awaits you in heaven when you do the will of God. So friends, get at it. Father, help us. I may have convinced a few here today Perhaps your Holy Spirit has just been tapping at our hearts all morning, saying, this is you. This is you. I'm talking to you. But now comes the hard part. It's just too easy for us to gather up our stuff and get out of here after we fill out the address book. And to forget it all. And so, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit just continues to go at us, take away our sleep and our appetite and whatever it takes, God. Steal away our joy until we get in the midst of your will, Still, we, until we choose your way. 
because God, I know that's where your blessing is. I stand here before wanting nothing but your absolute best for these people. Certainly you do. So God, be glorified as we choose you here today. In Jesus' name, amen.